Well, thank you, Jeanette and Kristen, for reading today. I, I sort of figure this may be Kristen's last opportunity for a while to, to be able to read, so I invited her, and I'm thankful for that. Today's sermon is uh, it, it includes everything from A to E. Um, we go from awfulizing to encouraging. And so what I want you to do is to take this margin on your bulletin, and I want you to take the, the left-hand side and take, write down all of the awfulizing that's in the sermon. And then on the other side, I want you to write down the three points of encouragement that we receive uh, in today's message through Scripture. So that's your assignment. And there's pins or pencils just in front of you in the pew if you don't have one in your purse. But I want you to take these three points home with you. Because I've got happy feet today. Do you have happy feet? I've got happy feet. I am, I don't know why, God's working. I am just high as a kite. I'll probably preach way too fast. You're going to have to listen to it on the internet and put it on slow David down mode. But it's a great day. Let's pray. Oh God, may we hear what you want us to hear so that we can be what you want us to be so we can do what you want us to do. Amen. Great story about Elijah. And in verse 7, God says to Elijah in our Old Testament reading, The journey is too great for you. The journey is too great for you. Last week I said that being in the church is hard. Well, it's true. And it's been true for several decades now. A man recently told me about an American Baptist church in the Midwest. And that it was in decline. And it had declined to the point that it's almost not a viable congregation anymore. The church leaders launched a second worship service, a contemporary service, of course, in an effort to attract new members. But then the members of the church began to fight the worship wars. And that diverted all of their energies into their disagreement and away from being in God's ministry. And their numbers continued to diminish. And he said that now... They're contemplating closing the church by the end of the year. God told Elijah, the journey is too great for you. What kind of a God tells the prophet that the journey is too hard? One mainline denomination reports that 50% of its congregations have 150 or fewer members on the roll which is about the minimum necessary to have a full-time pastor serving the people. Eighty percent of the churches in that denomination have 100 or fewer members. Churches this size can not afford a full-time minister, and lay people have to do even more work. While a few mega-churches with 5,000 or 10,000 members get all of the publicity, the reality is that most Protestant churches today are small and getting smaller. The few people willing or able to work have to do more and more 
Pastors have to be shared either with other congregations or some type of secular employment just so that they can have a family and a life. It is hard to be a part of a congregation today because of the many challenges and all of the negativity that that swims through the church. People simply lose hope. The journey is too difficult. Just talking about it depresses and discourages, does it not? However, encouraging signs are beginning to bloom. Protestant churches are experiencing a renewal, a revival. Some are on the cusp of new vitality. And so we turn to the book of Hebrews, which offers a word of encouragement for us at First Baptist and all such congregations that fear what their own future might look like, afraid if they will even have a future, yet dare to believe God is beginning a renewal in their midst. Friends, I've got happy feet because I think we're one of those congregations. Hebrews suggests that we're in a race against the forces that will drag us down. And we are to look to the example of Jesus to find our courage and our renewal. But it's not a race in time, but it's a run for the imagination and the will to rise up out of despair and to reclaim hope for a vital future for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us put aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross disregarding its shame, and has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And so consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. A few stalwarts work hard to make things go. While most people sit on the sidelines, they don't know what to do or how to help. Or they're simply not motivated to engage. Some leaders believe that somebody else coming in will interfere. So they don't allow others to help. And yet there are several people sitting here today who have survived, even thrived in the church. Some for as much as over a half a century. What keeps them going? What keeps you going? Maybe you can tell us. I wish you would share what it is that you do so that you can keep going and explain that to those of us who have spent less time in the church and yet are feeling the weight of working in the church and seeking to be faithful to God. Tell us, how do you, how do we avoid discouragement or burnout or depression or despair? How? Tell us. Give us hope.
The Bible has a great deal to say about discouragement, fainting, falling away, losing heart, whatever language you want to use. Even the Apostle Paul had to struggle with Elijah's malady. And he mentions that in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. How did the Apostle Paul do that? Not lose heart. The reality is that most people in the church rust out and don't burn out. People don't engage in the life and work of the congregation because of this sense of fear of being over-involved or too committed that it's going to take up their whole lives. Motivation is lacking. Fear holds them back. It's difficult to find a meaningful place to stand as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Others throw themselves into the life of the church and are great servants. If it were not for them, of course, the church would collapse. But I have to say that many of those, those people who have no fear, also have no sense. They do overcommit and they do burn out. And you see their shard and charred and crisp remains sitting in the pews around you or not being here at all. And it scares the spit out of you. That great ninth century prophet Elijah, he was exhausted and he's running for his life. Now that's the way we normally read the passage. And yet Elijah was also running to a place where he could connect with God. He sought out the safety and the solitude of the wilderness, like Moses did, like Jesus did, and many others. This was a time for Elijah of spiritual retreat and renewal, not merely an escape from hard circumstances. Elijah may have fled to the wilderness, not so much to escape Jezebel's threat to kill him, as to engage in spiritual renewal for the benefit of his soul. He wanted to be alone with God in order to pour out his troubles and to recommit his soul to the Lord and to listen and to hear what God has to say to him. One way to keep going is to mind your habits and your spiritual practices to seek out God and to put yourself in a place to be ministered to by God, to be nourished. The vision of need injected the prophet Elijah with new enthusiasm for the task. He knew what he was doing, his calling, if you will, was something important and necessary. And like Elijah, the Apostle Paul overcame discouragement and discovered strength for endurance by becoming involved in a significant ministry, a purposeful work. Paul could not disengage because it was too hard. He would not give up because he saw that his task was too important. 
Like Nehemiah building the wall around Jerusalem, Paul could say, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. It was the significance of his task that kept Paul traveling and witnessing and preaching in spite of persecution and disheartening opposition. Another way to keep going is to trust your calling. Engage in an important ministry. Discover that God has a plan for your life and a need for you to serve for the sake of the kingdom. We have the perspective of kingdom work. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward person is perishing, yet the inward person is being renewed day by day. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Power to overcome discouragement comes ultimately from the presence of the Holy Spirit within the believer's heart. Supernaturally reinforcing that life and enabling it to overcome anything. Whenever a person looks at transient circumstances, that person will sink like Peter did when he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look at the waves. But when one's eyes are focused on the eternal one, there is courage to see it through. For a while, at least, Elijah forgot the eternal and focused his vision on the discouraging circumstances surrounding him. No wonder he was down. But when God revealed God's self in the power and stillness of his presence, Elijah focused his perspective on the eternal. Then his crippling wave of depression was removed. Yes, God told Elijah, the journey is too great for you. And that is true for us to do, uh, us too. Elijah needed God's provision and sustenance. It's too great to do it alone. But we have our strength to whom we can turn. What keeps you going is that you need to put yourself in a place to be nourished by God. That you need to engage in an important ministry that makes a difference. And that you give yourself the perspective of seeing beyond the negative now to a possible future, to what is eternal. A man described God's power to lift us out of awfulizing with this following story. It's his story in his words. On one of Albuquerque, New Mexico's cloudless summer days, we drove just outside the city 
to ride the famous tram to the top of Sandia Peak. It is one of the longest tram rides in North America, rewarding the rider with a spectacular view from the top of the 12,000-foot-high peak. Getting on the tram car with us at the bottom of the mountain was a young man with a huge canvas bag, so big that we had to help him drag it on the car. And at the top, we had to help him unload it and watched with curiosity as he dragged it across the mountaintop to a pre-selected spot beside the sheer drop-off to the valley below. He unzipped the bag and pulled out pieces of aluminum and tubing and nylon cloth. And there, on the top of Sandia, the young stranger pieced together a hang glider. And it was fascinating. He watched as he assembled the glider. And then he walked around it a couple of times, checking every joint and every connection. And satisfied it was all secure, he went to the edge of the precipice. He tied a yellow ribbon on a branch to check the direction of the wind. He put on his helmet and he strapped on the hang glider. And as we literally caught our breath, he ran as fast as he could and jumped off the top of the mountain. And he fell a few feet as the wind caught the sails of the glider. And then gracefully and quietly, he glided across the valley until he encountered what aeronautical experts call a thermal an invisible column of hot air that spirals upward like a mini tornado. And having found his thermal, our young pilot circled over it like a giant bird and began to gain altitude. He was soon lifted back to our eye level as we stood on the top of Sandia. And before long, he was gliding silently, effortlessly, 2,000 feet above us upheld by this invisible column of air. And just then, a loud roar distracted our attention back down at Albuquerque. At the airport, just beyond the city, a 727 was lumbering at full power down the runway for a takeoff. The sound of its huge engines burning hundreds of pounds of fuel was echoing all the way up to the top of Sandia. We could see and hear the plane as it struggled to lift its load off the concrete, inching its way higher, reaching to clear the mountains. And all the while, our hang glider friend was circling effortlessly and silently and gracefully 15,000 feet in the air, lifted by his invisible column of support. We had seen a graphic reminder of the power to soar above the discouragements of life, made available by depending upon not the visible, but on the invisible and the eternal. We don't have to rely on our own cleverness, courage, or endurance. As believers, 
we have the invisible power of the Holy Spirit to lift us. We can be more than conquerors through Him. Amen.